Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We live in a day and age of a new language. And that language isn't English, it's not Spanish, it's not German or some other country language. Rather, it's the language of autocorrect. Autocorrect is a language of its own. It's a language that we see when our, when our fingers make one little mistake in spelling or when our device doesn't recognize the validity of the name or the word that we've chosen to use. And then our little palm-held computer deems that we're not smart enough to know what we're doing, and it corrects what we've typed for us. And while many a time it catches our mistakes correctly, there are many times it doesn't. And the kicker is that when we recognize that autocorrect made a mistake, we then try to send a correction of our autocorrect. And just after our finger hits that send button again, we suddenly realize that it autocorrected it again to the same thing. And then we're left to send it a third time, followed by those two little clarifying words, stupid autocorrect. <laughs> now, I actually think that we're pretty good at understanding the autocorrect language. And despite the mistakes, most of us can read it or perhaps not even notice the mistake until it's pointed out to us. Our minds automatically fill in the blank or our minds change the word to what was meant without needing that correction. Of course, that's not always 100% the case. The other day I was texting with Father Siegfriedo and I asked him something about his wife, whose name is Jumir, and it autocorrected to Junior. And with the language issues of Spanish and English already at play, my intended word and meaning wasn't so readily obvious to him as it would be to, say, one of you. So he had to stop and he had to ask me about it. And uh, after that happened, I realized, hey, I have my sermon illustration for this Sunday. Now, why would I say that? And how could this possibly relate to the Bible or to the church or, or even to Jesus? Well, it's simply because it reminded me of Jesus' statement and interplay with the Pharisees from our gospel lesson this morning. Our gospel lesson comes to us from the 8th chapter of the gospel according to St. John, verses 46 through 59. And in this section, Jesus makes one of the most controversial statements that he makes. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And the reason I thought of the whole autocorrect thing is because Jesus, well, he just couldn't have meant what he said, could he? This had to be a mistake on the part of Jesus. I mean, if this were a text message that Jesus had sent, the Pharisees in the group chat would have written back, what do you mean? I don't understand. You couldn't possibly have meant that, Jesus, or perhaps a little angry emoji face. Surely Jesus must have spoken wrongly. Surely Jesus couldn't have meant, I am. Surely Jesus must have had some sort of autocorrect happen here. But we know that Jesus didn't misspeak. And this wasn't a text message, of course, or anything like that. And Jesus wasn't misheard or misinterpreted either. Before Abraham was, 
I am. And we know that this was significant because we're told that the Pharisees, they they pick up stones to throw at Jesus. In other words, they sought to kill Jesus because of this. And Jesus had to flee and he had to hide himself. And it's not the only time that they wanted to do that to Jesus. But it is somewhat surprising that that Jesus' statement of just a couple of words would warrant such a reaction as this. Of course, if we know our Old Testament story of Moses, then we know the story of how God spoke with Moses on the mount and how God spoke his name to Moses. God had told Moses to, to lead his people out of Egypt, out of that bondage. And Moses begins to make excuses to God as to why he's not the man for the job. And in one of the objections, Moses says, look, when I tell them that God... Elohim in the Hebrew, when I tell them that that the God of their fathers sent me, they're going to ask me, what is his name? And who shall I tell them that sent me? And what's interesting is that God doesn't respond with the name given to Abraham. He doesn't respond with El Shaddai, meaning God Almighty that we talked about in Sunday school last week. Rather, God responds with these words. Ega, Asher, Ea. I am who I am. Tell them, Ea, I am, has sent you. And in Hebrew, it's related to and has the same meaning as the word that we pronounce Yahweh, or what we know as Jehovah. And in the best explanation of that opening statement, without really diving into the Hebrew language, it means, I am who I am. Ea means, I am. And it's an expression of the eternal nature of God. That this is the God who is from eternity to eternity. But yet it is not just time-oriented, but also essence-oriented. He is the one in whom the fullness of everything resides. He is the one who is complete within himself. He is the one who does not need anything to be who he is. I am who I am. Eha, asher, eha. Thus, unlike the name El Shaddai or, or other names which describe a particular role or aspect of God's character as he, as he interacts and relates to man, this talks about the very nature or the very essence of God himself. One writer said this, Quote, Jesus used a standalone description. I am is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. His plans are not contingent upon any circumstances. He promises that he will be what he will be. That is, he will be the eternally constant God. He stands ever-present and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and to accomplish what he wills to accomplish, end quote. And we must understand all of this in light of a culture that perceived many different gods. Remember, we're, we're talking about Egypt here at the time of Moses. And in light of a culture that seemed to indicate that, that gods were created through various means, That God struggled against other gods in warfare. 
that each God had a, a localized area of control and creation in the universe. Such a statement to Moses indicates that this is the God of all gods. And it doesn't imply that there are indeed other gods, because there's not. But within its cultural context and what would be heard, this is the supreme God who has no beginning, who has no end, and from whom all things came into existence. He is God. I am. And it is this God who created all things that would deliver his people from their bondage and restore them to their rightful place as the children of Abraham's promise. And if we remember the rest of the story of Moses, we know about the ten plagues. God sends Moses to Pharaoh ten different times, let my people go. God plagues Pharaoh in Egypt for not letting Moses take the Hebrews out of the land. And what's interesting is that in each case, we discover God plaguing Egypt with something related to each of their so-called main gods. Whether it was locusts, or the blood of the Nile, or the darkness, or boils, or even the death of the firstborn, each of the plagues reveals that Eya, I am, or Yahweh, he is or he exists, is the true God, while the Egyptian gods were shown to be false gods. Now, with all of this in mind, let's return to Jesus and his interaction with the Pharisees here. These Hebrew words, I am, or Heya, are translated in the Greek translation of the Old Testament with these words, Ego, Amen. And it is this very phrase that Jesus employs when he says, before Abraham was, Ego, Amen. And it is true that, that Jesus uses these words elsewhere without such an implication. And it's true that these words are used by others, just as we might say, I am or I exist. Yet in the context, and while lacking other certain features of Greek for such ordinary use, and based on the response of the Pharisees to pick up stones and to kill Jesus, it's evident that Jesus is stating something unique here. This is not ordinary, everyday speech. Before Abraham was, I am. St. John Chrysostom, a a church father of the 4th century, said, But wherefore said he not before Abraham was, I was? Instead, I am. As the Father uses this expression, I am, so also does Christ, for it signifies continuous being, irrespective of all time. And so Christ identifies himself with the Yahweh of eternity. But yet at the same time, he also identifies himself as the God who covenanted with Abraham. For all intents and purposes, the whole of the Jewish religion, of every Pharisee and otherwise, hinged on that promise made to Abraham. For it would be through Father Abraham that the promise would be made. And if you look back earlier in John chapter 8 from our gospel, that which proceeds and leads up to that which we read today, you'll find the Pharisees arguing with Jesus and saying things like, well, we are Abraham's descendants, and Abraham is our father. But with Jesus, he seems to usurp the covenant of Abraham in a way, and he steadfastly declares himself to be greater than that promise. 
And perhaps those aren't really the best words to use. He doesn't usurp the covenant. Rather, it is to express that at one and the same time, Jesus is both the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. And that therefore, the whole of the covenant is wrapped up in himself. He is at one and the same time derived from Abraham as pertaining to his humanity, born of Mary. And yet eternal as pertaining to the Godhead, as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. It is that Christ embodies the promise in so much that Christ is the promise and through whom the promise is assured and fulfilled. And the hope that the people had and the promise made to Abraham, Jesus now says that the true hope and promise and fulfillment of relationship with God that you seek through Abraham is found in me. And indeed, Jesus would be their deliverer. The God who spoke with Moses and called them unto deliverance from their, their bondage in Egypt is now standing in their midst. And he would offer the true sacrifice of deliverance. Not from slavery to a nation, but from mankind's true bondage, that to sin. And he would be the one to bring them and us to our eternal inheritance. He is, as our epistle lesson says from Hebrews, the true high priest, the true sacrifice, the true atonement. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's about the best I can do with tackling such a theological topic in a short sermon. And not in a Sunday school class where we can have a lot more interaction. But the question comes, where do we go from here? And how do we have a a personal application of this text to us and and in our lives? And the short answer as we end this morning is that this text, nor this day in the church calendar, is truly intended to be very applicational in terms of what we think of as applicational meaning our own personal holy living or how I can change my behavior or be more godly, as we might say. It It is rather an understanding of that time into which we are entering and about who Christ is and what Christ did and does and will do, as opposed to what we did or do or will do. Today is known as Passion Sunday. We begin that time in which we focus specifically on the suffering and the cross or the, the passion of Christ. And you can almost sense in this week the imagery of the temple in Jerusalem, where we begin our walk up the steps to Jerusalem on the trek to offer the sacrifice of Passover in the temple. And today we stand at the foot of the city. Next Sunday we arrive at the gate of the city where the people cheered for Christ coming into the city. And on Good Friday, 11 days from now, we arrive at the altar of Calvary when the sacrifice is made. And the one who we follow into the gates, the one to to whom the people sang Hosanna in the highest, the one who would, would pine in prayer in Gethsemane, the one who would bear the curse of the cross, and the one who would rise again and ascend to the Father. He is, I am. He is God. And in him rests God's promise. And therefore in him and him only rest our complete and only hope. Before Abraham was, I am.
We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.